You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. You all right this morning? It's just quiet in here, you know? I'm only sitting in the front and I just wasn't sure. I looked back to make sure there were people here because it was just so quiet just want to make sure you're doing all right, you know? Just make sure everyone's okay. We know we missed out on an hour of sleep. That messes with us. We as Pittsburghers like to complain about two things. And it might not just be limited to us as Pittsburghers. It might be just people in general. The first is the weather, period. It's cold. How many times have you said it this week? Someone said it at least once and complained about it to a coworker, a friend, a family member. It is so cold. I'm sick of it, which we are. We like to complain about that. The second is, and there really is no match to this complaint and we as people needing to complain about this, it's losing that hour of sleep, daylight savings time. We act like this is literally gonna ruin our lives. I feel like a stand-up comedian. I'm not trying to be a stand-up comedian. I just feel like this, we really have a hard time with this. We feel that an injustice has occurred. We have been robbed of our hour and it affects our entire day. So I'm sorry that you are here under such dire circumstances of having to lose an hour of sleep. I'm right there with you. I did go to bed like at seven last night to um, compensate. So every once in a while as an adult, like you need that, right? You're like, it's 6 p.m. Is it too early to go to bed? I don't don't think it is. You justify it. You know it's kind of wrong, but it's like, I don't know. Then add caffeine on top of that. We're good to go. So I don't want to rain on our uh, complaint party here this morning. However, I do have some good news this morning. So I hope that you are prepared to hear some encouraging news from the Word of God this morning. How many of you find the Word of God to be an encouragement to your life? How many of you find that when you open this Word of God, you see not a God who wants bad things for your life, but a God who cares and a God who wants good things for your life because he's not some sadistic God. He's a God who cares for people and he cares a lot. And that really, I think, flies in the face of sometimes our understanding of God or maybe our tendency to think that God wants, you know, to kind of thwart thwart our lives and put a lid on our lives, make our lives miserable. Sometimes I think we run into this kind of problem of thinking that that's what God wants for us, but that is not what God wants for us. The human life, when we open the scripture, it's a completely different narrative. And so we are in part four of a series entitled Reclaimed, Reclaimed. And I hope that this series has been nourishment to your soul. I hope it has been an encouragement to you. How many of you have been encouraged in the midst of this series? There's just a couple of you. That's good. That's good. I'm hoping maybe if you didn't listen, maybe you go back and listen to the podcast and it would be an encouragement to you because I think it is encouraging because it's good news. It's good news. And, and, we, and we need some good news here this morning. And I have entitled this morning's message, Reclaimed Outlook. Reclaimed Outlook. So if you're taking some notes, I would encourage you to maybe write that nice and big in all caps on the top of your paper. Reclaimed Outlook. I have this, uh, this story that kind of has been embedded, seared, etched into my mind from uh, being a kid, a high schooler. 
in New Jersey, right outside of Philadelphia, South Jersey. If those of you who are from New Jersey, if you've ever lived in New Jersey, you know that there is a distinct delineation between the North and the South, North Jersey, South Jersey. I lived in South Jersey and out front of our church, my friends and I in high school would play uh, ultimate Frisbee. I just, I don't know why. We weren't like big ultimate Frisbee fans. I don't know. It just was this one unique game that we continually played and we just loved it. And we had people from our youth group come and play all the time. We had kids coming from the neighborhoods who didn't have a relationship with God come and play. And it was just, you know, there was no discrimination on, on the field when it comes to ultimate Frisbee. It's like, can you throw a Frisbee? Can you run fast? Can you catch? If so, then you're, you can do this. We want you in. You're a part of the tribe. And so we would play constantly. And I remember, you know, in South Jersey, the temperature got to be like a million degrees in the summer. And it was just like an oppressive kind of humid heat. And it's just, you're sweating so much. You're running, you know, you're just a mess. And inside the church, we had a water fountain. It was our oasis in the midst of this desert outside. And I remember we were playing and, and then we were like, let's take a break. Let's go and let's drink some water inside. And so there were a bunch of these awkward kids who like, you know, from the neighborhood in high school, they didn't want to like, you know, insert themselves into the whole church thing. And so I said to them, to this one kid in particular, hey, you thirsty? Why don't you come in and, and grab a drink from the water fountain? And, and his response to me is something that has stuck with me for a long time and even here to this moment. He said, no, 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 I can't go in there. I curse too much. I curse too much. And I just remember at the time that really hit me um, and it still sticks with me that this could this kind of narrative of God can kind of creep into our lives where I, I'm not good enough. I don't belong with that, with this whole God and church thing. I'm too much of a mess. I'm too messed up. I, I curse too much. <laughs> God would want nothing to do with me. I have got a foul mouth. It's like, man, you, somewhere along the line, you have received a very false message that the truth has gotten distorted. And really, this whole series of Reclaimed was intended to and is intended to kind of open up the doors to this God of love and what he wants for the human life. The idea of Reclaimed means to rescue from an undesirable state. And so really, this whole series in the whole of the scripture is really a beautiful picture of God wanting to save a rescue, redeem, reclaim a broken humanity and a broken people. People who maybe would even come to this realization like this high schooler who said, I am just cursing too much. I can't go in there. Took, you know, quite a bit of self-awareness uh, to come to this kind of place of like, man, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not messed up. I'm, I'm, I'm a bad person. <laughs> That's the underlying implication there. But it's those kinds of people that God came for. The doctor comes for the sick and not for the healthy. And so this picture speaks of, in this series, in this concept, in the scripture, speaks of this God who left the heavenly places because he saw humanity in their plight, stuck in their own brokenness, the frustration that can come from sin, of being messed up, of not living up to your own expectations or the expectations of others falling into sin time and time again, what the Bible calls sin and other than godliness. And it is frustrating. 
And God saw people, humanity in their plight, and he left the heavenly places out of love because he didn't want to keep them in that place. And he decided that I was going, that he was going to rescue, provide a way out for that life that feels trapped. Do you feel trapped this morning? Because there is a way out. There is a way out that God has provided. Jesus came, the whole Christmas narrative, and he lived a perfect life when we were sinful. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect life and out of love with your name on his mind and on his heart, he lived that life in perfection. And he endured the brokenness of this world and it ended him and left him nailed on a cross, dying in the place of a bunch of people who should have died because of their sin. The Bible says the wages or the penalty of sin is death. And so Jesus died a substitutionary death in our place as people. And then, of course, the miraculous thing isn't that a person died on a cross necessarily, but it's the fact that death could not hold Jesus down. Jesus, he rose from the grave as he was witnessed by eyewitness accounts and people as recorded in the scriptures. And he, he rose from the grave and he ascended into the heavenly places, setting himself supreme above all suffering, above all sin, above the devil, evil, and the misdeeds of this world. And this is good news because he has left a hand out to rescue, to reclaim a broken humanity. That when faith is placed in Jesus, when trust is placed in Jesus, when we look at Jesus and see what he did for us on the cross, it is then that a person becomes saved. And then you get to Romans chapter 8, which has been the chapter we have been focusing on in this whole Reclaim series, and you read of these verses, therefore... There is no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness, what a beautiful picture of what God has done for humanity. It's a little bit different than the narrative that we get maybe bumping shoulders with the Christian every now and again, huh? That there is a God who loves us unconditionally, who has given us something that we could never get on our own. We could never pay back. He gave freely. What a beautiful picture. And this whole concept of this frustration that we experience as people, that we are not as good as we should be, that God has given us himself, that God himself takes residence within, lives within the Christian life to give a supernatural kind of power so that I love the way Eugene Peterson says it in the message translation, that we don't have to live under this low-lying black cloud of sin. That instead we have this power beyond ourselves to, to overcome this sinful tendency that we have as people. Do you see how encouraging it can be to see that God has given a kind of favor to people who are so undeserving, a kind of privilege to people who are so undeserving? Now, when you put your faith in Jesus and you start living life, Oftentimes, discouragement can come into that picture because when we look at salvation and the picture of salvation, stay with me here because this is important. When we look at the picture of salvation, we see that it is a privilege. We see that when God has extended that hand, when he died in our place, that is an honor, a privilege that he has reached out his hand to rescue us, that he has loved us in this way, that he has given us this undeserved kind of favor. 
And then discouragement can kind of come into the Christian life because there is this tension that we are a redeemed people. If you call on Jesus as your savior, and if you are here and you have not given your life to Christ, then hopefully at the end of all of this, that whole story can change for you. And there will be an opportunity where you can give your life to Christ here this morning. When you give your life to Christ and you live as a redeemed person, there is this tension. You are redeemed. You are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come, the, the scripture says. But then there's this tension because we lived it, live in this already reality of being redeemed, a new creation, yet there is still sin. There is still brokenness in the world. There's still pain. There's still suffering. There's still injustice in the world. And so we live within this tension of this already redeemed existence and yet not yet. Already, but not yet. And discouragement comes when our expectation is linked to our outlook. Everyone say outlook. It's an important word this morning of outlook. When our expectation is tied to our outlook, our outlook can change because our expectation could be wrong. Our outlook means our attitude toward life. Our view of life, the circumstances we have, the attitude we have, the joy that we have, our outlook is often tied to our expectations. And here's the problem. Our expectation tends to be wrongly placed, that we fall into this trap at times because we look at our salvation and say, what a privilege that I can be saved, that, that, that I have experienced salvation, that I have experienced the favor and the love of God. Surely, and this is where a false expectation can come into play, surely God would change my circumstances in my life. Therefore, when I go through trial, when I go through tribulation, when I go through hardship, when I go through injustice, when I experience pain, suffering, loss, and death, it oftentimes leads to discouragement. And our outlook begins to change. And so the question this morning is, what kind of hope is there in the midst of that discouragement? Jesus did say, very pointedly, in this world, you will have trouble. He set this expectation. <laughs> and if you're a Christian here in this place, you say, amen. Obviously. And it is obvious, but I think we still do run into this discouragement. And you are not atypical. You are not weird. You are not uh, wrong in feeling the discouragement. It's just in that discouragement, we need to look to the scripture because there is encouragement for your life in the midst of the difficulty that you face. And that is something that I want to kind of communicate this morning. And it is in my bones that God would get a hold of your outlook in the midst of your suffering and in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your difficulty. Because for the Christian life, there can be two people who experience the same circumstances. And yet for the Christian life, there should be a completely different experience of those circumstances because of the outcome that is sure. You staying with me? You with me? 
Two people can go through these same exact circumstances, but for the Christian life, there should be a different experience of those circumstances because there is a different outcome for the Christian life. And that's the good news that I want to share this morning from the scripture. When times in life get difficult, here's the question. What encouragement is there for the Christian's outlook? If you find yourself in the midst of pain and suffering, a difficulty, a trial, a tribulation at this moment, if you're in a season of discouragement this morning, what hope is there? What encouragement is there for your outlook, your attitude, the way that you can view what is to come, your life, your circumstances? There is great encouragement for you this morning. I would encourage you to turn to Romans chapter eight this morning. This is only a two-point message. It'll take me 15 days if I let it. Last time I preached, which was three weeks ago in part one of this series, I had one verse that I really honed in on and I barely made the time and I've got three verses this morning. So good luck. What encouragement is there for the Christian's outlook? Do you know that you as a Christian, and again, don't feel alienated here in this place if you don't call on Jesus as your Savior. I want you to get a full picture of what is available to the Christian life, what encouragement exists for the Christian life, that maybe you would give God a chance in your life because you were designed to live in relationship with him, and there will be an opportunity for you at the end of this time together to give your life to Christ. But for the Christian life, what encouragement is there for your outlook. Did you know that you have an advocate, that there is the advocate? Some of you might know this term. I don't know that it's my favorite term, but have you ever heard, not term, but statement, phrase? Have you ever heard this phrase that there are no atheists in foxholes? It speaks of this kind of concept that when life does throw its blows at you, when life punches hard, whether you are a firm follower of Jesus, a.k.a. a Christian. Whether you're new to the whole Christian thing right out of the starting gate, or whether you have no relationship with God, when life throws its blows at you and punches, when you find yourself in a real difficult situation, it's not uncommon to find yourself in prayer. Meaning you seek God in those moments. It's almost like as people, it's like, I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. And have you, Christian, ever been in that circumstance where life has gotten real difficult? And maybe you have been in this place. And you know that there is a God, but you are literally are so overcome with grief. You are so overcome with your circumstances and this life your experience that before the throne of God, you just come to this place where you say, God, I, I don't even know what to say to you right now. I don't even know what I should ask for right now. If you were to say to me, God, you can have whatever you ask for right now. I don't even know what it is that I need right now. I am just, my world is in chaos. My life has been flipped upside down. I cannot find up from down, right from left right now. This is overwhelming and overbearing. I cannot fathom the way that I should take. I don't know your will in this situation, God. I don't even know what to say to you. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? Sometimes within the grief, 
and within the difficulty of life, we find ourselves as people thinking we know what we should ask God, but we really don't. That might be kind of common. We know exactly what we need. But in reality, it's not within the will of God. That was the case with Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the whole you know, thorn in the flesh. I don't know why I did this. I always picture this thorn. Uh, first of all, it's a physical thorn, which it's really not. It's a metaphor. So I don't know why I just did that. I always picture it in his leg. Also don't know why. We don't actually know what the thorn is. <laughs> but what we do know is that there was something that was troubling Paul. There was something, there was a trial that Paul was going through. And before God, Paul asked not once, not twice, but three times to God that he would remove this trial. Which I think that we oftentimes as people, we pray that. We pray, God, just remove me from this. I want this out of my life. And then as we endure that and we're praying that God remove it and we're still having to endure it, our expectation is not met. We expect that God would remove it because we come to God in faith. If you just have faith. But then I have faith and I ask God to remove it, but he doesn't remove it. In Paul's situation, we're just asking for the wrong thing, I think. In Paul's situation, he asked three times and God said to Paul, no, no, no. My power is made perfect in weakness. This needs to exist in your life and you need to trust me here that this is my will, that this exists in your life because you will become better as a result of this thing. You just have to trust me. So on one side of the equation, oftentimes in the midst of this difficulty, we ask God for the wrong things. But then there are these moments, like I already mentioned, where we come before God and it's honestly, God, I don't even know what to say. We kind of come to an end of ourselves. And in these situations, they're kind of unique. They're unique situations where life gets so difficult. Because I don't think it's impossible to know the will of God in circumstances in your life. But every now and again, life just hits such a blow where it's like, man, I really don't know. God, I just don't even know the way to go. I don't know what your will is in this situation. I don't even know what to ask for right now. I am completely dumbfounded before you. I just don't know. In such a situation, there is good encouragement because it is in that situation that I think discouragement can come in, right? You have a presence before God. You have an audience before the heavens. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say. I am completely overcome. I don't know what to say. What encouragement is there for the Christian's outlook in such a situation? There is encouragement that there is an advocate for your life. In your weakness, there is one who is strong in your life. And it ought to be encouragement for you this morning. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27 says this. The Spirit helps. Everyone say helps. Just want to make sure you're awake. That's the only reason I ask you to kind of say that with me because I just want to make sure you're awake. I do know an extra hour was removed. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, that weakness, literally that that lack of ability to understand the will of God, to know how to even petition or ask God what is needed, the will of God, the Spirit in such situation helps 
us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Oh, this is beautiful for the Christian life. This is encouragement for the Christian life. There is a layer of mystery involved here. And we as people, we don't like mystery. I want to know everything, always. Need to have it together. There's a bit of mystery involved here, but it's a mystery that is encouraging for the Christian life. What this text is saying is that there is God himself, the Holy Spirit, exists within the Christian life, that when we find ourselves overcome in the midst of the difficulty of this world and we come before God in our weakness and we're just like, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know your way. I don't know what your will is. I don't know how to move forward. Behind the scenes of your life, the Spirit stirs up something within us as people that literally, when we come before God and we're just at a lack of word, God, I don't know what I need. I don't know the way that you would have for me. I don't know what your will is in this situation. I want to go the way that you want me to go. I want you to be glorified in my body. I just, ah, I don't know which way to go. It is in those very sighs. It is in those very groans that the Holy Spirit is speaking, interceding for you on your behalf before the Father. Saying, he, she doesn't know what she needs, but this is exactly what she needs. Would you move her in this direction? Would you make this happen in her life? Would you bring this person? Would you bring this quality, this characteristic? Would you bring this power into their life? Do you know that there is the Spirit of God speaking on your behalf for your good when you don't even know it? Do you find it comforting to your life? Do you find it encouraging when we can't find up from down? And those of you who have been in that situation, you know what I am talking about and how much breath this brings to your lungs, how much life this brings. If you find yourself in this situation, this is like I should leap out of my seat kind of stuff. Because God, he doesn't leave you in those moments of complete confusion and dismay. In fact, he steps up and he speaks and intercedes to the Father. He prays, he speaks with on our behalf to the Father according to his will. Notice how the scripture says that the Spirit helps If you remember, I said, make sure you say this with me, helps, and we said it together, helps. He helps us in our situation. And that word help, if you look at Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha, Jesus was coming into Martha's home and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha was like in the kitchen preparing stuff, like getting stuff ready. She was getting frustrated at her sister Mary. And so she's all ornery, she's all angry. And she says to Jesus, hey, Tell Mary to come and help me. Notice how that means work in conjunction with. It doesn't mean tell Mary to come and do this because we're swapping out. No, no, come help me. Come work in conjunction with me. This call and this encouragement of the word of God that the Spirit speaks and intercedes for us does not mean that we ought not to pray. We have been commanded to pray. 
In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So it's not that we ought not to pray. We should come before God. God has designed it that we should pray. Why? Not because God doesn't know what we need. In fact, Jesus says very explicitly that God already knows what you are going to ask before you even ask it. The purpose of prayer is that it, 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 it proves, it shows, it, it, it brings our reliance and trust to God. It makes sure that our trust is placed in God. He invites us to pray because it keeps our trust to God. It also glorifies God because when we ask God for direction, when we ask God for power, it esteems his attributes, that he is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing that he knows the direction and gives power accordingly. When we pray, it also it increases fellowship with us and God. Your intimacy, your relationship with God will grow. Your love of God will grow. Prayer, it also it helps us to join in God's greater eternal work when we pray. When we Go with God and pray as he, has called, as he has called us to pray. We are reminded that God is up to something beyond ourselves and what a privilege it is to join God in that work through prayer. So the question is not whether we ought to pray or not pray. It speaks of this situation where it's just when life throws these particular right hooks and we don't know what to even say. It is in those moments that we can find encouragement that there is help. There is help meaning you are not alone. The Spirit comes and he helps you in those moments. There is an advocate. You have help. You want to talk encouragement for your outlook in the midst of that circumstance. I have help. We feel so helpless. Yet there is help. All powerful. God, creator of the universe, Holy Spirit, wind of heaven, help for your life. Amen to work according to the will of God for your life in those circumstances. That's how that scripture ends there in verse 27, interceding for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And what is the will of God? What encouragement is there for the Christian outlook? What's the will of God? Another encouragement is this assurance that is available to the Christian life in the midst of these circumstances. Romans 8.28, which is the the main text of our entire series, we have heard it every single week. And we know that in all things, everyone say all things. Everyone's still awake, I love it. All things. God works for the good of those who love him. In all things, we know in all things that God works for the good of those who love him. Qualifying statement, it really is for those who are Christians, Christ followers, those who love God who have been called according to his purpose. This is the, the will of God. That your circumstances will work out for good for your life. Someone needs to hear this this morning. Your trial, your suffering, the injustice, the pain that you feel, it will work to the good of your life. It is a guarantee before God. If you have a relationship with God, if you are a Christian, if you call on God as your savior, your circumstances will work out good for your life. 
The promise is not that we will always see it as we expect it. But the promise is, the guarantee is that it will work out good for your life. And in all things, meaning the bad things. And this isn't to discredit the bad things you are going through. Because I think Christians can become very unhelpful and uncaring in this regard. When we minimize the bad things that either you're going through, saying, man, God's going to turn this to good. What's my problem? Why am I upset right now? I must have like a lack of faith or something. No, no, no. Or if we look to others and say, no, no, no. You're just not believing enough. Why are you crying right now? This is going to be good for your life. No, no, no. God affirms the fact that bad things are bad things. I'm going to take it a step further. The fact that God works bad things for good does not mean that bad things are actually good things. The truth is, bad things are bad things. That's why Jesus, before the tomb of Lazarus, he, re- he wept. He cried. I'll take that a step further. Bad things are bad things. Jesus, he hates injustice. He hates evil. He hates sin. He hates suffering and pain. So much so that he wanted to destroy it. In fact, he entered it and experienced all that sin and brokenness so that he could destroy it without destroying us. And so don't you feel guilty. You are no less a Christian if you find yourself in tears before the bad things that you experience. If you find yourself in grief, if you find yourself in confusion, if you are just down and you cannot breathe because of your circumstances. But hear me clearly this morning, Christian. As you weep, as you groan, as you cry, as you experience the injustice, there is hope. And there is a promise that has been made to you from on high that in all things, all things, yes, even that thing, even that death of that loved one, even that situation, even that messed up past, God works it for the good for your life. And he will work it for the good of your life. And what does that do to your outlook as a Christian? The way that you view your attitude of life, it bursts it into light. That although you are in grief, you will not be overcome that there is a promise that has been made, that there is an advocate for your life, that there is help, that there is an assurance for your life, that there is hope. Right from the word of God. I want to invite the worship team to come back up here this morning. So here is the takeaway and the encouragement for you. Live with a reclaimed outlook. Because I believe that the enemy wants your outlook to be down. There is no hope. There is no help. You are alone. There is no God. There's no ear from heaven listening to your plight. Look what you are going through. Jesus said, Christian, that in this world you will have trouble. But Jesus didn't stop. He said, but take heart, Christian, for I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. 
and you have the spirit of the overcoming God within your life. And he is there to help you and to give you hope, to give you a power beyond yourself. So live with a reclaimed outlook. Look up, Christian, because your bad will turn to good. Your good can never be lost, and the best is yet to come. May you be encouraged this morning with an outlook that is in line with heaven and the promises that he has made for your life. Would you stand? If you are here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, maybe you would say, you know what? I don't have an advocate. I feel that I don't have help. I'm on my own. I don't have the hope. I don't have assurance. How do I enter into this kind of a promise where God can make this promise for me? The scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning you can stand here this morning and have a conversation before God. God, I know that you are Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That you can have a conversation before God. God, I can't do this on my own. I need help. I need hope. I need you, Jesus. I recognize that you died in my place on the cross, but that death could not hold you down, that you rose from the grave. I want you to save me. I want to be a child of God. You can have that conversation here this morning, and you can walk out of this place with the advocate within your heart. Some help for your life. You can leave this place with an assurance, a hope that can never be taken away. You can have a reclaimed outlook. Let us live with it. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have given us help, that we have an advocate, that you have given us hope, that we have assurance, God. We know that life throws its blows at us, but we're thankful, God, that you have given us these promises and that you are a God who always follows through on his promises. Help us in the midst of our circumstances. You have told us that we will experience trouble in this world. I pray for the Christian life here this morning that they would not be overcome but their outlook would be turned up in accordance with your word that they would stand on the promises that you have made, that the bad will turn for good, that the good will never be lost and that the best is yet to come. And for that, God, we wanna give you our praise here this morning because on our own, we are so hopeless. We are so helpless, but we thank you, God. Jesus, thank you for creating a way back to this help and back to this assurance and hope that we can have a relationship with you. Help us to lean into it this morning. In your name we pray, amen, amen. There are a couple people up front here this morning. I think as Christians, after hearing the promises of God, that ought to within us stir up a need to praise God. And so we're gonna do that this morning. We're gonna worship God for the God he is. And may these words that we sing be the prayers of adoration and desperation of crying out to God this morning. And if you're here and maybe you are going through a difficult time, there's something that struck home here this morning. We have a couple people who will be up front who would be happy to pray with you. It's amazing how God sends people to also help us in conjunction with the Spirit, amen. So please come forward and pray, but let us seek God together and let us live with a reclaimed outlook, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.com.
www.thepeopleofgod.org.